What's Shaking Fire Nation? JLD here with an audio masterclass on disrupting the status quo in the logistics industry. To drop these value bonds, I have brought Derek Leathers on the mic. He is a vice chairman, president, and CEO of Werner Enterprises, a global industry leader. Derek has 29 years of experience in the transportation and logistics industry and is going to break down the job duties of a Fortune 500 CEO in the world today how he's navigated his company through a global pandemic, the best advice he's received throughout his career, as well, Fire Nation, as the best advice that he would give you while trying to navigate your career in the world today, and so much more when we get back from thanking our sponsors. Complete your master's degree online or on campus at Creighton's Hyder College of Business. For more program information, to schedule an appointment with an enrollment specialist, or to start an application today, go to gradschool.creighton.edu. Chances are your business, Fire Nation, accepts credit cards, and the chances are also that you're paying way too much in processing and transaction fees. Until now, visit ecpaymentprocessing.com. And for a limited time, you can sign up for a 15-minute call to compare credit card transaction and processing fees. That's the letter E, the letter C, paymentprocessing.com. Derek, say what's up to Fire Nation and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Well, first off, uh, hello, Fire Nation. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be with you, John. Um, Yeah, so... Something they don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, I would say one thing people wouldn't know or wouldn't realize is even, uh, you know, based on the typical um, stereotype of a CEO is, you know, one thing I I do is I love to cook. I'm a Mm -hmm. fanatical, um, you know, cook in terms of wanting to always experiment and have a good time in the kitchen. I grew up helping my stepfather at times uh, run a catering business. My brother's a chef. Um, and it's kind of in all of our blood and uh, all of us just love to spend time around the kitchen and, uh, uh, you know, uh, create uh, new and exciting things. Derek, if I was coming over to your house and I said, cook me your favorite dish, what would that be? Boy, that's a tough one. Um, you know, if you were coming to my house, I'd probably want to cook you something that maybe you don't experience all the time. And so I make a killer gumbo, at least in my mind, uh, but most people who've had it really love it. I grew up in the South. And so it was kind of something that seafood was more available down at the Gulf. And so we'd go down and um, we'd make gumbo on the beach, even as a kid sometimes. And it's something I just love doing. Mm, I love me some gumbo. I'm actually a French Canadian, but Dumas. So I have a lot of relatives down in the Louisiana, New Orleans area. So uh, (laughs) that would be right up my alley. And Fire Nation, as you heard, Derek has been rocking it in the logistics and transportation industry for 29 plus years years now. And we have a lot to learn from him, you know, how he's navigating this large company through a pandemic, you know, what he's seeing as disruptions in the logistical industry and some other things. But first, I just kind of want to just get to know you a little bit better, Derek. So give us your background. Like, how did you get to where you are today? Well, it's been a long road, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, it, probably the most interesting aspect of it was, you know, coming out of college, I, I went to college at Princeton, um, had the opportunity to kind of uh, um, experience what was the best, amazing four years of my life. Uh, but coming out, I was going to go into investment banking. I was trained for that. I was an economics major with a minor in finance. I always thought that was my path. I had taken a job at City um, to be an investment banker, and then it got deferred um, and b- just because of a slight economic downturn. And so I took a job as a dispatcher just to fill the gap. So I, I just wanted to go make some money. I had to make some money. I had nowhere to go and no money to 
cover the rent, so to speak. So um, I took a job as a dispatcher, headset on the head, um, uh, with full intent of uh, leaving that job once uh, the time came to go pursue what I thought was my dream. Um, and the second I put uh, that headset on and started talking to drivers, it just felt right. And hmm. um, I'm a big believer in, you know, you got to find your own wave and whatever feels right for you. That's the wave you got to ride. And uh, so I took a big risk, a lot less money, a lot less uh, um, fanfare around uh, being a dispatcher versus an investment banker. Uh, but that's uh, what I wanted to do. And uh, it's worked out well for me. I've held jobs in every aspect of trucking as I came up through the ranks um, from safety to operations to training to um, you know, really, really every role you could have. And then uh, ultimately found myself in Mexico City running a Mexican truck company. And uh, that was awesome. Uh, that was four or five years, uh, partly pre-NAFTA, partly post-NAFTA um, and really trial by fire. And uh, kind of really, I would say that's the defining moment in my career where I had to cut my teeth and learn and make a lot of mistakes, but uh, you get better for it and and learn hopefully along the way. It is so fascinating how timing and luck play such a role in life. I mean, back in 2008, you know, I thought that I was, you know, in my full-time career path at John Hancock as in, as a financial corporate guy, like making my way up the ladder. And then of course, you know, that big crash happened and, and I kind of left that path because of that reason. But you know, if that never happened and the bull market was, was roaring, you know, I would have probably found myself with the golden handcuffs and never left. And like, you could have been in a similar situation and it's just really interesting how just like timing and luck and circumstances have such an impact fire nation. And sometimes you're just going to be open to what's coming. And I love that phrase that you use, you know, just ride the wave that you're on and, and make it happen. And that's what Derek did. And Derek, now you're the vice chairman, president and CEO of Werner Enterprises. So for Fire Nation, break it down. What is Werner Enterprises? And let's really get into what your job duties are and entail as a Fortune 500 CEO. You know, at its basic uh, level, what we are is a premier truckload transportation and logistics company. What's that mean? It means we help customers all over the globe move their goods and products that they care about to the customers that they care about and try to do it at the lowest landed cost we can. Um, in terms of size and scale, we're one of the larger players in that space. Most people uh, don't necessarily know of the name because it's a B2B kind of model. Um, but they, they recognize as soon as we talk about the blue trucks going down the road and blue trailers, and now over the last few years converted to white trailers, but we're a $3 billion market cap company, about 13,000 associates, uh, founded in 56, truly the American success story. Our founder dropped out of high school to start the company with one truck and spent decades going from one truck up to 20 and then eventually 50. And as we sit here today, you know, we're knocking on the door of about 8,000 trucks, um, you know, 2.7 or so, $2.8 billion in revenue, uh, offices across the U.S., Canada, Mexico. Uh, we have offices in Shanghai and Shenzhen, China. Um, and, the you know, the business has just continued to evolve into not just trucking, but logistics and freight forwarding. And uh, we do a lot of things for a lot of people. That just, but, but at the end of it all, what it has in common is moving people's goods to their customers. And what do you do? Like, what the heck does the president, CEO of a Fortune 500 company do day to day? Yeah, I mean, so the biggest thing I think that you have to do is, you know, people talk about shareholder value and stakeholder value. Those things matter. Obviously, they matter. We've got to pay the bills. We've got to make profits. And we've got to get people excited in the story. But the singular thing you do every day is you, you are 
uh, responsible for sort of the culture and the people of the organization. And so you've got to start and finish your day thinking about, you know, how do you get the right people? How do you attract them to a company like yours? How do you train them and mentor them and develop them properly? How do you retain them long term? Um, because if you do all that and then you give them the right tools, and so you're usually, as the CEO, the one that pushes through certain decisions that maybe the ROI didn't look right, but you know it's the right decision and it's the right investment in the tool set or, or, or technology or whatever that you know your people would be more productive if they had of it. If you do those things, then all the traditional CEO stuff that people do think about, like earnings and earnings calls and profitability and shareholder value and share price will follow. And I've always believed that. I've believed it. You know, business is a blocking and tackling thing, right? So you've got to you've got to do the basics well, and you've got to out operate your competitors, um, and you've got to give your customer a low cost, high value solution, and then all the profits will happen. If you try to cut your way to profitability, it doesn't work long term. If you try to be uh, so financially focused that you lose sight of the people, that that's a diminishing return kind of model in my mind. Uh, so it's really setting the culture, setting the people and, 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 and really turning them loose. Uh, that's probably the hardest part of that is turning them loose and letting them be, you know, their, their, their true self um, and, and, and really help make a difference. Uh, so maybe in, in, in a shorter sentence, it's kind of trying to become that true north of your company. Fire Nation, are you the true north of your company? And, you know, if you're one person, if you're, you know, leading a team of five people, 15, 30, that true north has to be clear. And let's be honest, Derek, there have been quite significant changes in logistics over the past few years. I mean, I've had some really interesting conversations over the past few days, you know, with driverless truck companies and with the, you know, president of Union Pacific and, you know, what they're doing in that logistical area. So what have you found is the single biggest change in logistics over the past few years? And how are you currently dealing with it? You know, there's so much change. I mean, you've talked about several of them. Uh, you know, the the electrification and 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 focus on alternative fuels uh, to be able to still move all of these products is a, is a key focus. Um, but technology. If I was picking one single thing, it's really the advent or the or the integration of of technology uh, into what has traditionally been kind of a point A to point B business. Because if you're not optimizing your network every day, if you're not using machine learning and AI and and and, and other um, tech tools to make decision making better, you know, if we hadn't leaned in heavy um, to you know all of the visual uh, tools that are available to take all this complex data that we have and present it at the desktop in a way that it's digestible. You know, it's just too big of a mountain to climb. Uh, there's too much data happening. We deliver over three, almost three and a half million miles of freight a day. Wow. Um, every day. And, you know, one thing I remind people of the complexity of our business is, you know, our factory has no roof, meaning, you know, our drivers are out there every day and wherever they are today is not where they'll be tomorrow. So you're managing, you know, nearly 13,000 associates, which with 85% of them um, being in a different spot today than they were yesterday. And you've got to manage all that remotely. And so uh, putting more power in the, you know, in, into the palm of their hand as it relates to mobile apps and, and communication and video conferencing and the ability to try to stay connected to this mobile sort of, uh, uh, rem- you know, not just mobile, but, but mobile <laughs> um, workforce that's, that's constantly moving around the country. So a very popular phrase in the world today is adapt or die. So let's talk about how Werner Enterprises has adapted to the changing world and even talk about maybe how you've in some cases disrupted that status quo. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think that applies to us very much. If you look back, you know, we were a premier player for a long time, always at the top of the game. And then there kind of entered this period of the 90s where um, and actually even more so, I would say, the the, the first decade of uh, from 2000 to 2010. Uh, where everybody was holding on to the roots, and the roots are one-way trucking business that you call, we haul from A to B, and that business was going to obviously going to get continuously commoditized. And I was, uh, you know, an early advocate to say we have to evolve, we have to be able to provide agnostic, you know, kind of mode agnostic solutions to our customers. Uh, what that means is if if, if that freight ought to move by rail, we should be the one you know, involved in that decision. We should be consulting our customers, recommending a, a better solution. Uh, but to do that, that means you got to have those solutions in your portfolio. Otherwise, you'd just be shipping business out the door. So, you know, we launched our logistics business. Uh, we're, we're a, you know, a, a major player in intermodal and truck brokerage. Uh, we launched Runner Global Logistics to provide solutions to our customers overseas. Uh, we've recently launched Warner Final Mile as people have been, you know, increasingly kind of in, in, in the in the click world as it relates to making large scale, big and heavy purchases. But you have to evolve. And so today, as we sit here, that are, that traditional business, that one-way truckload business is one of the smaller parts of our portfolio. Oh, wow. It's still important to us. It's still our roots. It's still what we call the foundation. Um, but our dedicated business is quite a bit larger than that. Our logistics business will eclipse it in size in the coming years um, because we had to evolve and really meet our customers where they were at. Fire Nation, we have so many more important topics we'll be discussing as soon as we get back from thanking our sponsors. If you're ready to complete your MBA in just over two years online or on campus, then a degree from Creighton's Hyder College of Business is for you. A Creighton MBA is recognized by employers and peers both locally and nationally for the high value placed on critical thinking, moral and ethical decision making, and the development of well-rounded leadership skills. Plus, Hyder's accreditation by the AACSB places it in the top 2% of business schools in the world, offering an MBA with various concentrations in areas like finance, leadership, business intelligence and analytics, accounting, financial psychology, behavior finance, personal financial planning, and more. Hyder offers multiple formats and delivery options, including part-time and full-time programs, as well as one-off courses without the commitment of a full degree. They also have dual degree options available to save you time and tuition. For more program information, to schedule an appointment with an enrollment specialist, or to start an application today, go to gradschool.creighton dot edu that's gradschool.creighton.edu Accepting credit cards is a part of doing business, but most business owners set up their payment processing accounts without even thinking twice about how much they're paying in fees. Big mistake. Huge. Why? Because the average business owner can save over $5,000 per year simply by taking 15 minutes to compare credit card transaction and processing fees. And at Electronic Commerce, they'll show you how. Electronic Commerce has proudly processed over $1 billion in credit card transactions per year for big-time brands and companies like Florida Cardiology, Genius Network, and Consumer Law Protection. If you're ready to put more money back into your business, all it takes is 15 minutes to compare credit card transaction and processing fees with someone from the Electronic Commerce team. And as a bonus, Electronic Commerce is offering you a 15-minute call. For a limited time, you can sign up for this 15-minute call by visiting ecpaymentprocessing.com. That's the letter E, the letter C, payment processing.com. 
So Derek, we're back, and something we talk about on this show quite often is how it's important for companies and you know even just entrepreneurs if they're doing the solo game to have core values, to be that kind of North Star that we've already talked about a little bit. What are the core values of Werner Enterprises, and why are they important? When I became CEO, um, I looked at our values, and, and I, looked at, I looked at how we presented them to newcomers coming into the business, and it was a multi-page document inside an employee handbook that frankly, you know, you needed a couple translators to really come <laughs> wow. out there with something to understand. Um, what we wanted to do instead was take that down to um, a really digestible back of a card. It can fit in the other backside of your badge kind of framework and talk about who are we and what matters. And so our values are founded in integrity. And so we have this little diagram with integrity at the foundation. It's because I believe if you don't have integrity and the people around you don't, then none of the other values matter. Like if, if that crumbles, everything falls apart. And then the pillars of those values are teamwork, community, innovation, and leadership, uh, because those are the things we think that really define us. Uh, it's interesting. We're going through an evolution with teamwork and we're going to change that to inclusion because we think it's a broader term that more better captures what we mean by that pillar. And those pillars support safety and service because that's the business we're in. You know, we're not in the trucking or the logistics business. We're in the service business. And the only way to do it is to do it safely. Um, and so everything we do leads to this sort of top of the pyramid that's safety and service. And uh, people have them on the back of their badges. We actually take them out in meetings. When there's tough decisions to be made, you, you know, I'll often ask, well, what's the compass tell you? And I really believe you've got to use your values almost like a compass to guide you in tough times. Fire Nation, integrity, the core value. What is your singular core value? Something that you need to eat, live, and breathe every single day. And Derek, we're going through a global pandemic. Nobody's untouched by this. I'm sure Werner Enterprises is not either. How are you navigating your company through COVID? Well, it's been tough, obviously, on everybody. But uh, look, early on, we knew uh, as soon as this became a reality, we knew that we'd be designated an essential business, and we were. We knew that for us, that means we're open for business and have to stay open for business, uh, not only on the PPE front and giving, getting those kind of supplies to hospitals and needed locations around the country, but you saw the barren shelves that took place early on when people were starting to hoard paper supplies and other things. Um, and so we had to make different decisions than a lot of other companies. And so the first one we made is, uh, you know, we we knew we had to keep a, a larger than normal population in the office to be able to run the run the the, the optimization and everything else that we do to make the network move. Um, and there was a lot of questions about how we go about that. And I, I when when in doubt, I always go with the the simplest answer. And I said, let's ask them. Let's ask people to kind of sign up for those of you that don't have. Um, pre-existing conditions or, or high-risk, uh, you know, comorbidities. If you don't have people in your household that are elderly, and you're willing to stay on ship on the ship and, and ride this out, then let us know and identify yourself. And everybody else, let's try to move and, and maximize the amount of remote working we could do. In the office, that translated to about 50% of the office ended up working through the pandemic, myself included, from the office, and about 50% worked from home. Um, doing that enabled us to immediately uh, instill social distancing from day one in the office, provide PPE and sanitation equipment in the office, while also having the tech capability to spool up and be remote within numbers that we never thought possible. And uh, one interesting thing I'll share with you and your, and, and your listeners is, you know, our office infection rate is about five times lower than the work from home crowd. And uh, that's something that doesn't get a lot of play out there, but it's interesting and I think makes sense 
because you can instill long-term discipline in an office setting with signage and, and sanitation and, and availability of supplies on demand better than you can when everybody's asked to fend for themselves from their own household. And so it hasn't surprised me that we've been able to create a very safe, very, very uh, um, confident work environment in the office. And yet our work from home crew has done stellar as well. And they've really rose up to the challenge. So that's one thing we did. The biggest thing we did, obviously, back to the remote workforce is developed a cadence on communication. We set up a COVID-19 task force. We, we had email blasts going out to the, to the trucks every day. I did a weekly video to the truck every week, giving them an update on our infection rates and what steps we were taking to provide more PPE to them. Um, and really just keeping them informed and reinforcing the behavioral things that we needed. Because if you add our truckers and our mechanics in, which can't work from home, we essentially were 90% work from the office, if you will, counting truckers and mechanics through the entire pandemic. And our infection rate has been significantly lower than the national average, despite the fact we're crossing state lines every day. So it can be done. It just has, takes a lot of focus. I think it would surprise a lot of people that the at-work rates are lower than the at-home rates. But in addition to everything that you've already shared, Derek, I also think it makes sense for those reasons, but also because I feel like there's probably a sense of camaraderie and accountability when you know you're going into an office every day of being like, hey, we're doing all the right things at the office. Now when I go home, I also need to be doing the right things. I'm not just going to go out to a bar that's crowded. I'm not going to go to this event or that event because I'm not going to be the person that's coming in and ruining it for everybody in this office. So there's kind of that sense of responsibility as well. So I bet people are being more proactive and protective outside of your office than people that are just at home being like, well, you know, if I get it, I get it or whatever their, their attitude might be. They don't have that added sense of responsibility. So you, Derek, have received a ton of advice over the years. I mean, some of it's been good, some of it's been bad, some of it's been terrible. What would you say is the best advice that you've received over your tenure as a businessman? Yeah, I think the best advice is you really have to have an internal commitment to always be learning. If you wake up someday and think you know it all or you've learned it all or you've got all the answers, I think that's a really dangerous uh, place to be. I have an expression I use at Warner all the time, which is, you know, the worst ideas come from the top. And, <laughs> and what I mean by that is not that the people at the top are incompetent or that I'm saying I'm incompetent. It's just that they don't survive. Ideas that come from the very top don't have to survive what I call the gauntlet of no's. Um, whereas an idea coming from the front lines, there's so many people that want to say, I tried that before, that doesn't work, it, that, that doesn't make sense, that if it survives all of that, um, it's because it is truly a stellar idea. From the top, it doesn't get that same vetting, it doesn't get that same friction, um, and it doesn't get scrubbed and, and evolve into really what the right plan or best plan might be. So I think you have to be open-minded, ask for feedback all the time, always want to learn. I played athletics my whole life, played football in college. And so it's kind of ingrained in athletes that, you know, it's whatever stuck to the tape you, you need to learn from. And so that includes every speech, every presentation, every dialogue you have, you need to kind of autopsy it afterwards and how and figure out how to get better from it. So that, 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 that always be learning and then surround yourself with people that you can learn from. And that means diversity of thought. That means different different people from different backgrounds uh, and uh, uh, different thought you know, processes and the way they think about approaching problems is critically important as well. Um, so th those would be a couple things that come to mind. The worst ideas come from the top. <laughs> I love that. And no pressure here. If you can't think of anything, if nothing's top of mind, no big deal. Just, just say so. But what's a terrible piece of advice you received? 
I, I, over the years, I've had several people try to advise around, you know, how a command and control approach at all times is best or how, you know, the boss is expected to, you know, weigh in on every decision or make every decision or, 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 or be more um, authoritarian in their approach uh, to keep people, quote, on their toes. I, I don't buy into that methodology at all. Uh, you know, I make a point in every meeting. There's this concept called a halo effect where if the boss speaks, everybody starts to fall in line. And I think if you really buy into that, and I do, that means you shouldn't be speaking nearly as much as other people. Hmm. You really ought to wait and hold your, your thoughts till the end of a meeting so real discussions can take place. And then at the end of the meeting, don't weigh in with your this group's right and this group's wrong. Weigh in with open-ended, provocative questions that make both groups kind of continue that debate. It takes a little longer, but, you know, the, the outcome is so much stronger when people buy in and believe it themselves versus just being told what to do. Um, so I think I think anybody who thinks, you know, that that authoritarian approach or, or very directed approach is the best way to lead um, is just missing the boat on what's what's what, what you can get out of people if you if you if you pull it out of them and turn them loose. What advice would you give to our listeners who are trying to make their way in the business world today? A few things. Um, I mean, I'll start with the obvious, right? I think hard work still gets just overlooked. Uh, I mean, you got to work hard and in any business you go into. You want to be the person known as someone who really will get after it and get after the work and, and is always looking to consume more work um, that isn't always focused on, you know, what's in it for me or what's my next move if I do this project, but rather how much, how much more complicated problems can I solve? And visibility is easier today than ever before, in my view, because that isn't as much the norm as it once was. So you can stand out even easier. Mm-hmm. I think another one is you got to find out and figure out um, who in that organization really cares about you and foster that relationship. It amazes me the number of times people have an obvious mentor that's obviously weighing in and leaning into their career, but they're not really paying that back or, or giving their half of that, that relationship. Uh, when you find those people, learn from them and lean into it and spend time with them because people want to help other people. I mean, I really, truly believe that. And so find that person that, 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 that cares about you and embrace and develop that relationship. Um, another one is recognize acceptable risks and take them, meaning, you know, people shy away from hard to solve problems or hard to do projects. And if it's an acceptable risk and you think you can add value, you got to jump on it. And, 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 and when I moved to Mexico City, you know, I was probably not fully qualified for that role. And I mentioned already, I made some mistakes, but I knew that I would I would give it my all to turn that company around. And we did. And we ended up making it one of the most profitable divisions, actually the most profitable division at the company before I came over and joined Warner. So those are those are a couple things. And then the last one is anybody, and you mentioned it earlier, anybody who says luck doesn't play a role is just not being forthright. Uh, everybody needs a bit of luck in their life. Um, and, you, and you need to have timing and luck. And when, But you got to recognize them when they present themselves and you got to make a decision to move. You can't just sit back and, and let those, those opportunities pass because they're not, they don't grow on trees. Uh, when they present themselves, they have to be taken advantage of. And, and you've got you've to jump on them and you've got to give it your all. Value bombs have been dropped, Fire Nation. Hope you are listening closely because you know 
that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And you've been hanging out with DL and JLD today. So keep up that heat. And if you head over to eofire.com and type Derek in the search bar, the show notes page will pop up with everything we talked about as well as links to Werner and everything that we chatted about. So Derek, I just want to say thank you, brother, for sharing your truth your knowledge, your value with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you and we will catch you on the flip side. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, Fire Nation. Today's value bomb content was brought to you by Derek. And remember this, successful entrepreneurs accomplish big goals. That's why I created the Freedom Journal to guide you in accomplishing your number one goal in 100 days. And we're talking step by step. So visit thefreedomjournal.com. Use promo code podcast for a $15 discount. And thank you for listening to my podcast. And I'll catch you there, Fire Nation, or I'll catch you on the flip side. Complete your master's degree online or on campus at Creighton's Hyder College of Business. For more program information, to schedule an appointment with an enrollment specialist, or to start an application today, go to gradschool.creighton.edu. Chances are your business, Fire Nation, accepts credit cards, and the chances are also that you're paying way too much in processing and transaction fees. Until now, visit ecpaymentprocessing.com, and for a limited time, you can sign up for a 15-minute call to compare credit card transaction and processing fees. That's the letter E, the letter C, paymentprocessing.com.